This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. Jeff Bezos is my daddy, and the best way to support my daddy is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting, and click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like Nurlywood, and I get a little kickback. Please feed the daddy. This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Malia Obama. On Comedy Writing. On Comedy Writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. Before I introduce the guest, I want to talk about DNA Chard. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Lexa Graham started the satirical scientific journal and she's looking for some more submissions go for it it's a good way to get published and once you get published once you can keep rolling it's a good good way to get some uh, momentum going uh, i browsed uh, the site today and i really like the article phd student celebrates paying thousands of dollars to write a paper only 17 people will read because yeah that's kind of how that stuff works so it's good if you have like a good uh, science background even then you know i think a lot of that stuff is universal i'm horrible at science but i can get a lot of stuff so uh, check it out. Make sure to read it and submit. I think it's a great way to get your stuff out there. So our guest this week is Jason Kim. He's a very accomplished playwright. He's had multiple works go up uh, around the city. And he's now transitioned to TV, where he's written for Girls, Love, and the most recent season of Barry. Very cool guy. Good episode. I should have more playwrights. Uh, maybe I'll do that in the future. So here is Jason Kim. Uh, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is going great. Um, I was born and raised in Seoul in South Korea, and then I moved to St. Louis when I was 10, uh, which was a fun little departure. Uh, and then I've been in New York for like the last 15, 16 years. So I guess New York. I don't really know how to answer the question. Yeah, it's weird. Because like t- 10 years is a long time. It's a long time. What was it like yeah. growing up in uh, Korea? It was pretty amazing, I have to say. Um, I grew up in Olympic Village, which was oh. a town that they created sort of uh, for the for the 88 Olympics. And so there were all these like, you know, like cool exercise equipment everywhere. <laughs> and I never used any of them. So it was pretty fun. Um, that's such yeah. like a specific thing. Yeah. That's like, that's like a TV show right there. Yeah. Like the Olympic Village <laughs> city. A, a dumb kid walking around <laughs> <laughs> trying to use a pull-up bar. Yeah. So it was, so it was like where the athletes stayed? Yeah, basically. Whoa. Yeah. So we lived there for a couple of years and that was really fun because they just had stuff, you know, uh, everywhere. Um, and I, and my mom swears that we went to like all the events in the Olympics and I was like three years old and I don't remember <laughs> a thing. So she could just be lying, but yeah. She always shows me, like, a photo of, like, the two of us very close up. And she's like, see, this is at the, us at the Olympics. And I'm like, okay, great, Mom. I went to the, the Salt Lake City Olympics. Oh, cool. In 2002. I remember nothing. Because <laughs> I, was, I was, like, I was old enough, though. I was, I was nine. Yeah. But I still remember zero, still... <laughs> zero from it. I don't know. Um, I went there, I think, the year after. And they had opened the facilities for the greater public, and you could, like, take the luge down with the professionals. It was really cool. I did it when I was, like, uh, when I was still a teenager, and it was, you know, it, it was deathly terrifying, but it was pretty cool. That's all yeah. I remember about Park City. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you first become interested, like, in writing? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think I was always sort of a closeted writer. Um 
you know, have a lot of feelings, etc. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't really start writing till I was in my early twenties. Um, and, uh, I, when I started it all sort of poured out, but my background is in theater and in drama really. And so I still, um, and especially back then wrote like very sad, <laughs> strange plays that nobody ever read or watched. <laughs> um, so that's how I started. Did you go to college for uh, for theater? Uh, I went to graduate school for theater, okay. but in college I studied uh, English. Okay. Um, and I wanted to be very much, you know, like the good immigrant son. So I thought I should either go to law school or medical school or business school. And those were sort of the options. Or be a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and But only, at, you know, like a great school uh, right. where my mother would be proud. <laughs> and so those were sort of the options that were ahead of me. And then I... Uh, I didn't do. I didn't take any of them, <laughs> much to the dismay of my parents. I'm. I'm. Uh, my mom's Indian. Oh, cool. So I'm, I'm first generation, and she's also very disappointed in me. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Uh. So what? What made you like? What made you decide to actually start writing? Um. So I was working at. Uh, the New Yorker when uh, I was right out of college, which was like a dream job for an English major. Uh, But I think I sort of knew from day one that it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, And I did maybe the dumbest thing in the universe at the time. This was during the recession in like 2008, 2009. I quit my job when people, when bankers were in their suits begging for money on the street. I just quit my job because I was an insane person. And then I... Uh, I, I I took a government scholarship, um, unemployment, and I <laughs> sat around for three four months. Is that I, called the government scholarship? To me, I, yes. did, I didn't know that. I like that. <laughs> Just to me. <laughs> uh, and then I wrote everything I could for for the subsequent four months, mm-hmm. and what ended up coming out was a play. Um, and then it all sort of snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. What what like what was the play about? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. I yeah. think it was. I, I honestly don't remember. I bet, I, but I can guarantee that it was very, very bad, uh, and that I hope nobody ever sees it <laughs> for as long as I live. How long? How long do you think it took you to get to like a play that you you really enjoyed? I would say probably. Well, I I, I I'm still getting there. I think yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> a lot of people say that. Um, I I had a great teacher named Laura Maria Sensabella in in school, and I turned to her after turning in my like you know 15th draft of a play <laughs> and i asked her laura do you think this is done and she looked at me and she <laughs> smiled and she said oh honey a play is never done <laughs> and she's right and i feel that way about scripts too yeah yeah that's interesting because because plays like i mean you know like edward alby added to uh what's that one called the uh <laughs> the very famous play uh, who's who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? No, no, no. Is it Edward? Al- I'm not even getting there. Right? It's the one with the the, the park bench. Oh, a uh, zoo story. Zoo story. Famously, he added that like set, the first half to it. You know. Oh yes, that's right. That's right. And so it's kind of like the ultimate. Like the play is never done. Yes. And probably I remember I read it and I was like Stephen King. There's like a Stephen <laughs> King reference. Like wasn't this written like in the like way before Stephen King was was alive or not alive but working? What if he revised the play so he could put in the Stephen King line? That's all you wanted like, to do. I really need to add in the Stephen King. I'm line. a big fan of him. Yeah. I'm going to pay homage to him in this. <laughs> But uh, that's interesting because, like, um, so that, like, you can add to and then you do a revival of it and that's, like, a new thing. 
but like in uh, in scripts, TV specifically, yeah, it's like you do this episode and it's like that's it, that's yeah, the episode, that's it. it's over. How do you how do you like deal with that when you're when you think of something's never done? Oh, I guess you get a lot of alts. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I I I always feel like everything's in progress, and and the people who say like, oh, this is my complete finished polished product, are you know probably only like Martin Scorsese or somebody who actually can. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always feel like everything's in progress mm. all the time. And you just somehow like reach a breaking point and you're like, okay, great. We got to turn the cameras on. <laughs> uh, let's hope for the best. Uh, when, when you like started writing, what made you like stick with it when you're like, oh, this isn't as good as I'd like it to be. And this, this sucks. Oh, chemical depression. <laughs> <laughs> the need for approval. <laughs> um, desire for purpose. Uh, why did I stick with it? Um... I think I got very lucky early on in my career because I, when I was in graduate school, I worked for a, a couple named Dan Farderman and Anya Epstein on um, uh, a television show called In Treatment, which, oh, yeah. which um, was a fantastic experience. And as I was graduating, they brought me on to work on Grace Point. And so I got super, super lucky in that. I really hit it off with them. I still see them regularly all the time. And they're really like my, the older brother and sister that I've always wanted and uh, who happen to be married. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so I sort of started doing it as a job, thinking that, you know, I could maybe get a TV job here and there and then do theater pretty much full time. But it didn't really work out that way. It worked out sort of the opposite way. Mm. Um and I've been very, very lucky, actually. Um, so really by the good graces of, of people like Danny and Anya, uh, have I, you know, mm-hmm. been been able to write anything, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, in treatment, they did like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday schedule, right? Yeah, that's right. That's absurd. Yeah, it was absurd. I think we shot the entire series. I think we had like 38 episodes that season or something. I think we shot the whole thing in like two or three months. Wow, which is nuts. Yeah, was, I think we we were on like a two two days per episode, or maybe sometimes three days per episode. Wow, isn't that insane? And it's like they're like uh, they're like half hours, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's ludicrous to even think that. I guess it's one location, right? So that's yes. Yeah. It's mo- I would say ninety nine percent of it is one location. Yeah. Um, there was a day where we had some, you know, some uh, some externals, and we were like, "Oh my god, <laughs> we get to go outside today." <laughs> People forget that though. That that's what should be talked about as like an insane thing that happened on TV. Oh yeah, it was so insane. It yeah. was sort of right before the time where people were sort of. You know, um, blogging about TV shows and really talking about it uh, on the internet. So maybe that's why. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I loved it. I thought for especially for playwright. You know, uh, those those episodes are beautiful half hour one acts. I think, Mm -hmm. and and so it was such a nice introduction to TV for me. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I still think about that show. Can you? I can't believe that they shot so many episodes. That's absurd. Yeah. (laughs) Any any AV Club freelancers listening right now? You got a <laughs> good article here. Um, what made you decide to do the MFA? Uh, well, I hadn't really written before, and I um, I'm sort of a school junkie. I think <laughs> if I could remain in school forever, I would. Um, you know, how are you supposed to know if you're a human if you don't get a grade? <laughs> uh, and so I uh. I applied to a couple of schools in New York, and I just went to the one that gave me the most money. 
Um, and uh, I ended up doing it really because I think of grad school as, a, as an investment in your own time. So I had never written before, so I needed to invest in time in my in myself really uh, to be able to have the space to be able to write. Um, so that's really the reason why I went. I just wanted to walk away with a portfolio. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in grad school currently at NYU. Congrats! <laughs> How's it going? It's good. I, I'm like finishing. This is it. Oh, this is it. I'm in. I, I finished like in two weeks. I think. Wow! And now you're a fully formed human. I guess. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> so. When they give you the diploma, <laughs> that's it. It turns. <laughs> it turns. Um, you start seeing color. <laughs> but we uh, we're past fail. Isn't that isn't that weird? Oh, you are. That's actually great. I would have I would have preferred that actually. <laughs> I, I I can see why, but also it, it feels a little bit I don't know. The classes where I, we don't have like writing stuff to do, uh-huh. uh, I do kind of like fuck off a little bit because uh-huh. it's like I can get the pass and move on, uh, which is bad, which is not good. <laughs> but the writing stuff I care about enough so that it doesn't matter. But yeah. the other stuff, yeah. I get ya. I, I don't ya. know. So what are you studying there? I'm doing uh, dramatic writing. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So does that does that mean screenwriting in addition to theater? Or? It's it's screenwriting, playwriting, and TV writing. Oh, it's all three. great. Good so it's for been you. Fun. Yeah. That's awesome. I just had my my thesis reading last week. Oh, congratulations! So, yeah. How did it go? It went okay. We, we had a. I guess I should, maybe I should publicly talk about this. We, one of the actresses I think didn't quite get the role. Oh yeah! Well, welcome to the welcome to yeah. the world. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's interesting because so, you probably do a lot of readings. I do. So how do you prepare for a reading? Oh, you uh, you take an Ambien. Um, how do I prepare? Uh, how do I prepare for a reading? Um, readings are such interesting business because they give you like two hours or like five hours if you're lucky to rehearse something and then put it up. And most of the people, you hope that they read it the night before. But you know, a lot of people just come to a reading completely fresh-eyed you know and and you got to make something work um and so i feel like readings are mostly about just hearing your words echoed back to you so that you could figure out what's not working Mm. and it's uh i hope you didn't feel this way but every time i have a reading i'm like mortified (laughs) you know even even if like meryl streep is at the helm i'm like oh my god i really fucked this up i'm (laughs) such a bad writer nothing is working and in a sense, how could it be working? You know, you have no prep time and all the complexities in your writing that you want to communicate, uh, how can you do that right. within, within two hours? Um, so, yeah, readings are a funny business. Yeah. H- how much do you change stuff because of a reading? Oh, it depends, I think. But I end up changing a lot once I'm in rehearsal, mm. um, especially because I can and because I want to tailor the language to the actors. And I think that's true both in theater and in, and on screen. Um, because, you know, if, if uh, like Anthony Kerrigan has a line that, that, that can be said in his voice, that's funnier. Um, that's, that's, you know, better suited for him then of course he should do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll figure out a way to do that. Um, so yeah, I ended up changing a lot, lot lot in rehearsal that's interesting because you, obviously like in in uh tv or, or in movies that makes a lot of sense because you do you know this one time and it's gone but it's funny to think like you change a line for this one thing and then like you, when you like have the script that you like let people do it's like as that line it's like oh well, this is only works when it's this guy doing it yeah yeah it's a tricky balance yeah. um and then to give everybody the freedom to you know play around um 
make sure that everybody's comfortable. It, it, that's the thing that you don't get taught in grad school that you have to teach yourself once you graduate. You know, you're like, oh, I have to be now the CEO of my own creative enterprise. Like, what? what is that about? Yeah. Um, and make sure everybody's happy and getting enough pizza and also artistically <laughs> fulfilled. Like, what do you, what, what? <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird thing you don't think about. That's a tricky, tricky thing. Yeah, I feel like every MFA should come with a uh, with an MBA. Because <laughs> I think we... they do that at some places. Oh, they do. I don't know. Maybe maybe not. <laughs> wow. I mean, I was uh, hot idea. I guess already. Some, you know, somebody took it. Congrats. <laughs> uh, once you're like at it, well, how do you go about getting your stuff produced? That oh. seems so difficult. <laughs> oh well, I, I I beg and plead and threaten and bribe. Um, you mean in theater or in TV? In theater, yeah. In theater, um, I think you most of development in theater, um, I think, requires you to do at least one reading, um, sometimes several readings. And I think every theater, especially New York, sort of has its own programming needs, depending on the season. Um, and... and uh, hopefully that artistic director or the lit manager uh, has had eyes on your play and thinks that it could be a great fit for the season. I know this sounds all sort of pedantic, but I think a lot of it is sort of um, how to make the Rubik's Cube work in that particular season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that happens so differently every year for every writer. Right, right, right. Like my friend, I just heard... Uh, has been workshopping a play for six years and it's finally going up next season. And I will bet you money that it was probably really ready to go like five years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, for for instance, with my musical that I did called K-pop, that was, I think, five or six years in the making as well. Um and we eventually just had to beg and plead enough people to give us money to do something insane with a cast of 18. Uh, and somehow it just happened in that moment where like everybody was available and it was just happening. So it's always unforeseen mm-hmm. and you always ha- kind of have to be ready, I think. Right. What was the story behind uh, K-pop? How'd that get started? Um, so uh, we workshopped that play for, our, for that musical um, for a long time with uh, three different theater companies that were involved with Ars Nova, um, uh, the Woodshed Collective, uh, Teddy Bergman, who conceived it with me and um, who who directed the production, and uh, and Mai, which is uh, this fantastic Asian-American company based in New York. And I would say we all wanted to do... Uh, a musical about the Korean music industry for probably like the first year. And then we sat around being like, what is this? <laughs> How do we make a musical about that? And then it started to sort of take shape, I would say like in year two or three. Um, and then eventually it became this, this strange and wild immersive experience where you sort of follow three different storylines that all converge into a big, gigantic K-pop concert at the end. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really figure that out until really we were kind of in rehearsal. Um, so it was I would say it was an active... Uh, it, I would say it was, an, it was an active development until the moment that the, 
until opening night. Yeah. Um, and I hope to work on it more, actually. Really? Um, yeah, I do. Um, just, just because you, once you put a thing on its feet, you see so much, you know, and you can spend all day writing in your head with your laptop and you think you know it all. And then you put it in the hands of an actor or director or lighting designer, sound designer, and you're like, oh, I didn't know anything. Uh, and so I would say I learn more by watching the first runs of things than really um, I ever do just sitting with the laptop. It's interesting. Uh, when you're developing something for that long, and I'm sure that can get kind of frustrating. How do you, how do you have like some sort of like, uh, I don't know, what do you do during that time to like get like good creative energy going? Oh, God. Um, the, the, repl- the replenishment is important, I think. You have mm-hmm. to always reinvest and replenish and it's something that i was very bad at for the last for the first it was something that i was very bad at for the first five six years and then i'm starting to get a little better um but uh, i think burnout is real and you and every person has to figure out a way to to revive themselves and for me it's not writing which is Mm. very hard actually um, because I immediately start to think of myself as a failure if I'm not writing. I'm like, oh, you didn't write today. You are, you're an idiot. You know, that's the voice that, that comes blaring on in my head. And so what I've learned to do is instead say, okay, you're not going to write today or you're not going to write this week or this month even because you have nothing to give. And I have to be aware of that, I think. Um, someone once told me that the most important relationship you have as a writer is between yourself and your writing. And as corny as it sounds, I think it's kind of true. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I need to take time off and I need to just watch Drag Race for the 50th (laughs) time. Or I need to go walk around in a museum to feel inspired. Or I need to just eat every single chocolate I can get my hands on. And it just depends on what your needs are, I think. That's interesting because I often I go I'm in between where I think like well if writing is a job you know you should go nine to five yeah. you should write but also it is like creatively like it's hard to do that oh, yeah. it's hard to be I can't in that. do it me, I can't I, do it me neither but I think I'm not sure yet if that's just because I'm a lazy guy or if that's the way the process has to be I I doubt it um I you know uh I can really only have three good hours in a day mm. I mean I have written for like fifteen hours at a time of course but it, you know it's not good (laughs) no one would read that the day after and be like oh you really nailed it uh i really think you kind of tap out at a Mm. certain point yeah how do you how do you go about writing a musical oh um you have many 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 conversations with your musicians with your composer and lyricist and you try to really figure out how to create the architecture so that the story will exist as scaffolding for the music and at least that's how i view it anyway Mm -hmm. um because no one goes to a musical to just watch you know um scenes over and over and over again you want to hear the music and hopefully if you guys do your job right then you everything feels fully integrated mm-hmm. and of one sound mind but it, it, it is a very intense collaboration i have to say mm-hmm. um 
and I really had a great time because I love the composers that I worked with and uh, my I, I played music growing up and so I was like oh this is really fun for me I get to sort of flex those muscles again um, but it's really hard and that's yeah. why it takes a long time actually because you not only have your own brain to contend with you have the brains of many many people it's interesting because like um, writing in general is very like isolating and very mm-hmm. lonely playwriting i imagine more so than tv writing because you're not in a room and stuff mm-hmm. uh but the musical that seems like it's very much like you're all in it together as a team yeah there I, I would say even that feels lonely sometimes yeah <laughs> um, but in general i feel lonely all the time but that's probably a different problem um i think there are times also in a musical where you just have to shut yourself out and say shut yourself up and say okay i'm gonna sit here and figure out what this scene is. And I think that's true also of TV, actually. Um, when you are on set and you and the scene needs a rewrite, you know, you could write by committee, of course, but uh, really it most of the time requires the mind of one writer who can go and really isolate what's not working and what is working and figure it out. And of course you have a team behind you to help you, uh, and to um, take over if you need. But yeah, I've used to, writing is very solitary, which my therapist probably thinks is a big problem, <laughs> but that's how I think about it. No, I mean, it, it is implicitly. Yeah. Is there a certain like a uh, structure difference in writing a musical than a play? I know very little about musicals. I saw Oklahoma, which was great. Oh yeah, it was great, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I it was, loved it. It was really good. It's really uh, modern. Yeah. It, it, without changing like, a word, yeah. which is interesting. I really need to read that book actually because mm-hmm. I I'd never seen Oklahoma before. Me neither. And I was oh you hadn't either. No, but so, I, but I was with people who had, and I I was like, is this like different at all? And they're like. <laughs> By the like the word, the language, and the music, the musicals are kind of like yeah. more modernized, I guess. Yeah. But like, it's like not at all different, apparently. Wow, that's really shocking to me. Yeah, and and phenomenal actually, because the book seemed so dark. Yes, so 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 dark. And see I, with Judd in the yes. yeah. Oh my god! At the at the end of it, I was like, I wondered if they wrote it this way, or if they got permission to revise, or or what? Because mm-hmm. and and how people viewed it when it came out. At first. Right. Because my understanding of Oklahoma is, you know, like Hugh Jackman in a cowboy yeah. outfit, like traipsing around the mm-hmm. stage. You know, what what they did was entirely different. Uh, and it made me wonder, like, oh, I guess so much is really up to the interpretation because those are two different experiences, really. Yeah. What, what do you think that ending meant? I, didn't, I, I wasn't sure. Um, I guess spoilers for Oklahoma. If you're in New York City, <laughs> don't don't let's fast forward to this part. I, I sort of thought of it as an indictment on current America, uh, okay. and and the way that even the good guys can manipulate justice, mm. um, and especially when you're sort of in a contained environment that you can really do whatever you want. Um, I think. Mm. But I like that. It's interesting. It's funny because I, I actually just saw To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh yeah, how was that? It was it was great. It was actually I was I, was, I thought I would not like it because Aaron Sorkin can be kind of whatever. But there's very there's very few of the Sorkinisms that I find annoying in it. There, he leads off from the top with one. I won't spoil it. But okay, it is very annoying. <laughs> but it, there's a really few of not as many as you think of that. But um, the ending. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. Like the, I am. Um, because like that's the ending with like Boo Radley. They yes. He uh, and they cover for him. I guess right. 
So it's kind of a similar thing, but that's more of a maybe a positive. Actually, I don't know now. Now I talk about it, I don't know. But they're kind of similar endings, I guess. Sorkin's got you. Sorkin got me. Yeah, <laughs> he did it again. He got to you. Uh, but anyway, instead of talking specifically with these two very things, yeah. um, but structurally, is there a difference in musicals versus plays? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I think that plays are really driven by language, and I think in musicals, you drive through music and so i think you have to put music first to a certain extent as you're writing um and and allow it to hopefully dictate uh, what you're writing and how you're writing around it Mm. and i find that depending on the kind of musical you're doing you know you need to give the songs a, a jumping board you know, is that what it's called when people dive? Oh, no, a diving board. board. Wow, wow, sports. Wow, really hard for me. Um, what is a jumping board? You're That's from not the even Olympic a village. Thing. <laughs> I know, I know. What a failure. Um, because I think you need to create a reason for characters to sing. Um, and so a lot of the times it's about creating an emotional situation that will allow people to break out into song. Mm. That makes that makes sense. <laughs> Whereas in a play, you do whatever you want, really. Right. Yo, do you do you find how, what's like your approach to writing a play? Oh, I sit and call my mom, and then I cry a lot. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, tell me about all the horrible things I did when I was a child, and she's like, Okay, you ready? And then I cry. <laughs> um, the process of writing a play for me always begins with a question. There, if they if there's something on my mind that I cannot work out that I feel particularly terrified about, then I avoid it at first for as much as possible, and then I return to it somehow. Uh, and I pick at it over and over and over again until I have a realization, oh, this should be a play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me as an audience, the best kind of plays wrestle with a question, and and with a, usually with a huge question, that to a certain extent is not answerable. And so that's the way that I view playwriting. If I have a question that's big enough to not be answered, then I should probably tackle it mm-hmm. in the form of a play. Yeah. I know, so K-pop, you mentioned that it had a huge cast, yes. uh, which is like unheard of in American yes. theater. Yes. Was that like difficult to um, to get? It, it was, but I have to say the three theaters that were involved were so wonderful and supportive of that vision because the thing about Korean pop music is they have bands that are huge. Right. You know, like you look at Girls Generation and you're like, oh my God, they added another person. <laughs> Where did that person come from? Uh, and then they have, you know, like the Korean version of the band and then there's different versions depending on what country you're in. I mean, it's, it's nutty. And so I always felt like the scale was important in communicating what the music actually was. And once I explained that to the producers, they were like, okay, great. Let's try to find, you know, 18 Korean people who can sing and dance and who look hot. And I was like, best of luck. (laughs) Uh, But I think once they understood that there was an artistic impulse behind it, they were really supportive. Mm -hmm. And how hard was it to to cast? It was really, really difficult. I can imagine, yeah. It was very difficult. Um, Because there is a lack of visibility for Asian Americans uh, both, I think, in front of the screen, on stage, and behind the scenes. And so I 
wonder, and this is just a guess, if a lot of Asian American kids grow up not even knowing that they could be an actor or they could be on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the the tides are changing, hopefully. Um, well, but you're, you're wearing a, a, the Sandra O shirt. I am. I came to represent. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just got it today. I felt like I should wear it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's funny to me also speaking of Sandra Oh, because she has been around for a yeah. while and she has been doing phenomenal work for a long time. And so for her to finally be recognized feels both incredible and a little like, really? Like yeah. now you guys are you guys are up on Sandra O. Oh. You've been sleeping on Sandra O oh for the last <laughs> 25 years and now you're uh, really she's been amazing since day one, you know. Um, and but I'm, I'm really happy about it. It's so great. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's really hard for Asian performers because they, they don't they lack models i think mm-hmm. but yeah yeah but it's you know i guess like there's crazy rich asians i mean things are things are going in a good yes, direction yes yes i will be happy when there are 10 crazy rich asians yeah every season right um i remember when they were doing hamilton you know it was such a phenomenon on every level and people were kind of walking around like oh we really cracked the code like now broadway's fully diverse and i was like <laughs> that is not true right um, and wouldn't it be amazing if we had three Hamiltons in a season? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be phenomenal? Then you could actually get a ticket. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, I think I'll be happy when there are 10 crazy rich Asians, when there are 10 fresh off the boats. And I think the reason why some, some creators and some viewers have a hard time is because there isn't a plurality. You know, it's like going to the deli every day and you only get one thing. Mm. Um, I really want there to be more and more and more and more. And I mean, this is the irony, I think, of, of quote unquote, you know, people of color content. Um, it's proven over and over again to be not only artistically rewarding, but financially successful. And yet people still hesitate. Yeah. And so I really hope that people can look at these models and, and know that and rest assured that oh we can really start expanding the horizon a little bit and yeah. we'll be fine yeah expanding the playwrights horizon that's right <laughs> that's right um why, why do you think uh, so many playwrights are having so much success in tv right now i think because playwrights are taught story and oftentimes when you're in a room what you're there for is to is to provide story mm-hmm. and i think Um, we're sort of in a lucky moment in television where a lot or most content is character driven and playwrights are obsessed with character. You know, like I sit at home and I write character bios like a sad person. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. Um, Do you do that for like the TV shows you you work for? Sometimes, yeah, totally. Yeah, I make a list of like 100 things that have happened in their lives. Uh, And I like doing it because I'm a huge nerd (laughs) Uh, and I like wasting time. Um, And so I think because playwrights sort of think from that headspace, they have become helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've done a lot of TV. It's uh, most of what you've been doing lately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you plan on going back to theater? I I do. I I try to go back to theater as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I would say theater, when I'm writing a play, feels very restorative. 
Um, and then once it's up, I, I want to, I want to die because there are so many things <laughs> that have to change. But once you're at home writing a play at your little desk, it's heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to do whatever you want. Right. Cause TV, there's like more, way more rules to the stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I really enjoy all the rules actually. I really, mm-hmm. uh, is, is a, you know, um, as, as a type A immigrant, I really enjoy, um, the boundaries that TV provides, but, yeah, sometimes you just need to let loose, I think. Yeah. What would be your advice to someone trying to start a career in playwriting right now? Don't. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. Please do. Um, I would say one thing that's been very hard for me to learn, which I am still learning, is that to to a large extent, you have to dwell in uncertainty as a writer. And I think... That applies not only artistically, but also in your career, in a business sense, because things can come together, fall apart, come together, fall apart. And a lot of the times it's out of your control. And I think that can drive a person crazy. And I totally understand why. It's like when you're young, you're just waiting for that phone call that's going to change your life, you know, or you're just waiting to meet that agent who's going to just open doors for you or you're going to... Finally, meet an executive who can put your show on the air or whatever it is. And you know what? A lot of the times, even after you have those meetings, things remain uncertain. And even when you're shooting shows, they're uncertain. And I think you have to learn how to live with it and not spin out. I think that's what I would tell my younger self <laughs> like, relax. It's going to be fine. It's out of your control. I-, I was thinking about this recently. Like, uh, unless you're like, I don't know, like Lauren Michaels or somebody, uh, every, like every script is like a job and then it ends and then you have to have another job, you know? Yeah. It's like you do a, you write on a show, it yeah. ends. I need another show. Or oh, you like yeah. write a movie. Oh yeah. Or a play. It's just like, so that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Every time I finish something, I'm like, oh, I have nothing left. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, I don't have another play. I don't have another scene. I don't have another line. Like I, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think it's important to replenish. But it, I feel that way a lot. And you also never know when someone's going to hit the reset button for you on your behalf. Somebody might come <laughs> and be like, okay, this is over. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Thank thank you so much. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just the nature of the business, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I feel people don't understand that. Like, outsiders don't understand that. In terms of, like, I feel like bad for like, actors – who have to like go to a job interview like three times a day. Yeah, it's insane. I don't know how people audition. Yeah. I, don't, I don't understand it. As somebody who's been on the other side of it, I don't get it. I'm like, ah, this is such a vulnerable experience. I yeah. feel so bad. Yeah, I don't know. Good on them. Yeah, good on them. <laughs> uh, one of your first uh, TV jobs was on Girls. Yeah, it was. How did, yes. that, how did that come about? That came about because Lena and Jenny read a sad play of mine (laughs) and I guess they liked it enough to have a conversation with me Uh, and then I got hired for season four and I ended up working on that show for uh, for the rest of its duration and it was a phenomenal experience Mm -hmm. I still miss that show all the time every day and Mm -hmm. it was one of uh, you know my first jobs and it really in many ways defines how I think about storytelling and mm-hmm. comedy and yeah it was it was a thrilling time what do you think uh what, what about it, the play do you think drew them to you 
I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> um, it'd be really funny if they were like, oh, we thought you were David Henry Huang. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> wrong person. That would have been crazy uh, if they that hired him. That would have been really funny. Yeah, that would have been really... I mean, they would have been lucky. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Had you been looking to get into television? Well, so I was already working on Grace Point at oh, the time. Oh, right, right. Um, but I was thinking at the time that, oh, once this is over, then, you know, I'll, I'll go back to working freelance or, or work at a startup or wait tables or whatever it takes. So um, it was actually a surprise, I think, on every level when I ended up jumping to that show immediately after. Mm-hmm. And are there any skills you think that are specific to, like, theater that you brought to, like, the writer's room in TV? Oh, well, I don't think I have any skills, <laughs> especially marketable real-life ones. Um you know, I'm not sure. The The great thing about girls, for me, was that people were really open and allowed to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and encouraged to be so. And I really enjoy that, actually, because my favorite hobby is crying, as you've already probably figured out. And I've been to a lot of therapy. And so having an environment that supported that was great. Mm-hmm. And so I could go in there and say, oh, my God, this is what... My ex just did to me on the internet, you know, oh my God, this is what my parents just said to me on the phone. Like, oh my God, here's a great memory that I had when I was first living in New York. And you could just share Mm -hmm. and then let it bubble into something that could go on screen. Mm -hmm. So that was really great. And I want every room to be that way because then I think you get something really personal and something truthful hopefully have you read the antipodes is that how you say it i think so but i haven't read it i was in yeah. la during that time mm-hmm. i was i was bummed out that i that i missed that production i heard it was fantastic uh, i didn't see it and i've only read half of it <laughs> don't have much to say but it is that that, that did remind me of it because there, there are moments where they talk about uh, it's your favorite play right it's my favorite play yeah, yeah. oh i yeah. love it <laughs> i do love Amy baker though she's great yeah she's amazing um but yeah, I guess I don't know. You're like the one of the few guests I have on this show that I could probably ask about in the Antipodes. Um, it, I think if I'm remembering correctly from a friend's description, it's mm-hmm. set in a writer's room. That's right? why. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then it like evolves into you know larger questions about uh, your existence yeah. and the world and meaning and and etc. Which sometimes you kind of get to in a writer's room when yeah. you're on like hour ten or whatever, and everybody's overly caffeinated. And you're, you've talked through every little detail that you possibly could. You're like, oh my God, what does this all mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because like they, the way they portray it is like the, the showrunner's like mining your stories. Like, but he's like, oh, not in the way that you say it where it's like very, like it's a very open room, but he's like, uh-huh. I need these stories oh, for the show, <laughs> uh, which I think is pretty fascinating and probably kind of true for some writer's rooms. I'd bet. Oh, imagine. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially it's like a, I feel like a How I Met Your Mother type show. It was a lot of like, so what's your dating stories, guys? Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. And you have to be, I think, cognizant of what you are willing to share and what you're not. Yeah, and it's okay if you don't share something. I think always. Mm-hmm. What's it like uh, joining a show in the middle of its run? For me, it was great because I already knew the characters, mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, great. Like I know what Shoshana is about. Um. I know what Adam is like, you know, and so 
for me, it was like, oh my God, the hard part's over. <laughs> they already did the hard work. Now I could sort of come in and and try to help tinker with what they've done already. And that must have been a fun show for you because you're like a, a New York guy and you've been... You, I'm a New York dude. You're a New York dude. I'm and a you're New like, York bro. You're, you're like around the... <laughs> you're probably like around the same age as those characters. So it kind of probably feels... Yeah. Uh, felt yeah. comfortable to write that. Yeah, it, it did feel really comfortable. I felt like I was running my friends, which was cool. Mm-hmm. What was working with uh, Lena Dunham like? She's amazing. Mm-hmm. I really owe her and Jenny and Judd so much. You know, I owe them everything. And... I remember the first day of season four, we were shooting the, our first day on on the soundstage, and she was directing an episode that she had written that she was also starring in. And, you know, she was still in her 20s at the time, I think. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, I can't even get my shit together to get breakfast in time. Right. You know, how are you doing this? And so I really admire her so much mm-hmm. for how much she put into that show. Yeah. It is absurd how good the show is considering how young she was and how much responsibility she had for every role. Oh yeah. I mean it's it's incredible. Yeah. When it was the last season, what was it like trying to like um tie up all the loose ends and 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 and, and end the show? It was sad, I think, for a lot of us to say goodbye. And I think it was Judd who said let's not have a typical ending. Um, which is what inspired the series finale, mm. if I'm remembering correctly. And that really took the pressure off to be like, okay, like we don't need to do the kind of six feet under, here's how they all die <laughs> version, which I love. Spoiler alert. Right? Which I, ooh, ooh, sorry guys. We're six feet under. Sorry guys. Um, so sorry. Um, sorry, Mr. Ball. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. And so that really, I think, took the load off. Yeah. And we could then imagine what Hannah's life would be like. Like six months from then. How did uh, Working on Love come about? Love came about because I had worked with Judd Apatow on Girls, and they needed another writer for the second... No, I'm sorry. The third season. Oh my God, what am I even saying? (laughs) Lord. Um, And uh, and so it came about that way. Um, And I hadn't been in a room in L.A. before. And so that was my first LA experience, and it was so strange to me because yeah. we wrote on the Paramount lot, and I was like, "What do you oh. mean you could just walk over to the set?" I was like, "What are you talking <laughs> about?" You know, um, in New York, everything sort of spread out. Like you could have a room in Soho, and then you could be shooting in like the Bronx or something, you know. And I was like, "Oh, you just like walk down the street when you want lunch and go to the cafeteria, and then you like go back and you go to set." It was very confusing to me. <laughs> What's that like, be, like going from uh, New York to L.A.? Oh, I I really love L.A. for small chunks at a time, and then I have a hard time. Um, but you know, L.A. is great. You, how do, how how can you complain about L.A.? Yeah. It, it's like it's you don't even have to ever look at your weather app. You know, yeah. that probably saves you like forty five minutes in a week. <laughs> um, it's it's amazing, and and it's really cool to be around other people who are doing the same thing. Um, because in New York, you don't get that sense. You know, you're constantly confronted with with everything that's not writing all the time. And in LA, um, which is a very much which is very much a company town, I think you are surrounded by writers who sort of can understand and empathize with what you're going through. So if you're sitting at a bar having your fifteenth glass of wine, writing uh, and crying, then no one's gonna bother you. You know, <laughs> which is kind of great. Yeah. 
Is it, is it difficult having New York as a home base when you're doing like TV jobs? It can be. It can be. Um, but, you know, I've been here for a long time at this point, and I really love New York. I identify as a New Yorker. And so, um, you know, it's like removing Carrie Bradshaw from New York or something. Um, so I hope to stay here for as long as possible, yeah. for the rest of my life, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully someday the industry can move here. <laughs> Not all of it, but, you know, just, just a small just a small chunk of it. Do you think it's been more or less in the last couple of years? I, in my experience, it's been less. Yeah, that's what I think, to, think too. Yeah, and it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, all you cool LA people move out here, please. <laughs> and create shows and give us jobs. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. which is a, a sad for me, yeah. actually, because New York is a great place to shoot. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's weird that, that like a lot of shows are set in New York and shoot in, like, the sound stages. Yeah, or Toronto or wherever. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you can always tell. Right. You know, like, I have I used to walk around fake New York. I always walk around fake New York on whichever lot I'm on. It's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. It's a little creepy. It is, because <laughs> like, uh, like, there's, like, fake walls, and yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah. It's ho- like, everything's hollow. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a strange experience. Uh, but I'm like, oh, I really want to go down this train station that is going to lead to nowhere, because <laughs> I miss home. <laughs> but you can always tell, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and love is kind of like almost a, a West Coast girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how did that job differ from girls though? Um, love was really an amazing model because it really zooms in on the story, mm-hmm. and so the conceit I found so fascinating, where you're really zooming into every nook and cranny of a relationship and getting to go a little slower if you want and tell the story that you want of one moment. You know, and I didn't think storytelling like that was really possible. I thought you could do it in a novel, mm-hmm. but maybe not on screen. And so it was a it was a great learning experience for me because so I was like, oh right, if this happens yesterday in Gus's life, then when we pick up the next day in the next episode, then this has to happen. You know, it was it's yeah. it was sort of different. Like you were sort of looking at the story through a microscope or something. Mm-hmm. Because that whole series is like over like eight months or something. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's wild. I didn't. It's, I didn't think about that because I've seen yeah. that show like a lot. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, I always find it so fascinating. Like Paul Rust is like the funniest. He's the best. The funniest dude. And in that show, he's like he's like not really playing to like the funniest like version of himself. He's like trying to play a more grounded thing, which is very interesting to me. Yeah. The the one wonderful thing about Paul is that I think he's such a good actor. Yeah. And he has like a torrent of thoughts and feelings inside him. And I'm so glad he got to express it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I feel about Bill Hader. You know, um, who knew he was such a phenomenal actor? <laughs> like, my God, that guy can I mean, you, you really kinda act. kind of knew from SNL. Yeah. I mean, I guess you totally did. Yeah, you totally did. But I, I, I don't know. This feels a little different or something. Sure. Like it feels like he's doing work that you know that should be in like a Russian stage in the 18th century or something. It's that good. Um, yeah, it's really. It, 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 I'm so glad that these creators have have the venue now to be able to express themselves fully. Yeah. And how did uh, you, you worked on Barry? How did that come about? Um, Barry came about. Um, I think that was. Uh, I was available at the time because I had just, I don't, I, something must have fallen apart. I don't remember, yeah. but, but I met with, um, uh, Amy, who's one of the producers on the show and 
they had sent me a link to the first season before it aired. And I watched the whole thing in one go. I think I started it at like 9 p.m. And then I finished at like 1 in the morning. And I was like, holy fuck, what was that? That was amazing. And then I had breakfast with Amy, who... I will roast her for the rest of her life for this, who ordered a bagel and lox without the lox. So <laughs> and I was like, so just a bagel? <laughs> um, which I find so, so funny at the time. Was it really just a bagel? Yeah, it was just, so they just brought a bagel without, <laughs> they brought like a bagel and lox platter without the lox. Oh, and I so thought had it all was, this stuff. I thought it was yeah. so funny. I thought it was so funny. Um, and I was like, great, I, I adore you. You're my people. Um, I will take the salad with everything on the side. You know, like it was, it was hilarious to me. Um, and so we had a great meeting. Um, and then I met Bill and Alec after, and I feel bad because I forced Bill to take a walk in New York. He was like visiting New York for something at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I didn't really put the two and two together that people would be screaming, running up to him. (laughs) And I was like, ooh, that was not a great place to meet. Sorry, guys. On the street. Yeah, probably not a great place to meet an actor. Um, And we all hit it off. And so I joined for season two. And that was an amazing experience. I mean, one of the most formative experiences I've had. As we're talking, I'm realizing that those three shows, Girls, Love, and Barry, were all creators who are starring in it. Yeah. How did that, like, change things? Oh, it's always great to have the creator in a room. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know what's going to work or not, you know, like, you know, what can fit Lena like a glove and, and what notes she's really capable of playing on screen and what notes you really want her to play, you know? And so it's really as the character, I mean, not as Lena, but, um, as Hannah, um, and the same with Paul and the same with Bill, um, and they can tell you, like, oh, that's not going to really land. And here's a different way to make it land in my body, you know, with my face, which is amazing, actually. Yeah. Like, when do you get to do that? It makes the job so much easier, I think. Mm-hmm. And all those shows are, like, uh, you know, they're very funny, but they're also heavily serialized. There's a lot of story. Yeah. And they're kind of dark. Yeah, they're pretty dark. Is that kind of your voice, would you say? I think so. I mean, I who knows what my voice is. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I like darker material. Yeah. I think probably because I used to write very sad plays. <laughs> and Barry specifically has like really absurdly funny moments. Yeah, juxtaposed with like you know huge violence. Yeah, and like very sad, sad yeah. things happen. Yeah. Uh, how do you balance that tone? Um, I'm always amazed. I actually I haven't seen the all of season two yet, but I watched the first episode recently. It was a phenomenal season premiere. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I take full credit. <laughs> Bill, are you listening? I take full credit. Um. <laughs> No, that was all, all Bill and Alec. Uh, yeah, it, it. I think on Barry, the tone kind of reveals itself after we figured out the story. Mm-hmm. And that's what feels great about it. Like, we don't go in saying, oh, my God, it's going to be 70% dark, 30% funny this season. And this episode has to be the opposite because it hasn't been funny, you know, enough or whatever. We're just, right. we're like, oh, this is a story we want to tell and let's make it funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we let, you know, um, we, we let the story sort of take control, which is, I think the way to do it. Right. And and you started writing that the second season before the first season finished airing, right? Yeah. How did that, like, did, when the first season like finished airing, did that change things around? Um, well, we got a second season pickup, which is great. Right. (laughs) Uh, uh, you know, it was really amazing actually, because, 
I think we started the second season when like episode two was airing or something like that, if I'm remembering correctly. And the response was so positive. And, you know, you, you create something in a bubble and then how do you know? You have no idea. Like you could create also the best thing in the world and no one could give a shit, which happens a lot, I think. And so to get the kind of response that we were getting, uh, I think made everybody even more jazzed and confident. And also, you know, then there's the flip side where you get in your head and you're like, oh my God, what do we do with the second season? (laughs) People are liking the first season. This is insane. But yeah, it was a great, it was a great time. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Was there ever like a worry when you when you went there, like, oh, what if the show just like sucks so hard that they cancel it? Uh, <laughs> they cancel the second season before the second first season ends. Oh god, you always have that worry, <laughs> and that's happened to so many people. Yeah, and 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 to so many of my writer friends, and and to me, and and it just you know it just you gotta. That's when the reset button is hit for you on your behalf. Yeah, <laughs> and you gotta figure it out. <laughs> And I know you're doing uh, development right now of your own stuff. How has yeah. that been going? It's been going great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm working on a show right now called Cape Town with Greta Lee, my long lost sister, <laughs> for HBO, and that's been really phenomenal um, because I get to tell the story of our families, and and you know, uh, writing with Greta has been such a joy. She is so funny. Uh, we just sit and laugh together, and. I'm so glad that we're telling such a personal story because for a long time we were kind of going around being like, oh, what if we do a show about a girl who really loves a boy? Like, oh, what if we do a show about, you know, a girl who has a superpower or something stupid? <laughs> um, those shows are not stupid, Shots by the way. fired at Supergirl. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, our version was stupid. Um, and then we were like, oh, my God, all we do when we get together is talk about ourselves as immigrants and our families. So what are we doing? Like, let's write about what we know. And so that was a big revelation for us. And that's been a real joy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it's been really great. And then I'm working on a couple of other things too. And, you know, juggling, juggling, juggling. Who knows? What was the, uh, the pitching process like? Oh, the pitching process can be very intense and it depends for every show. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, for those of you who don't know what a pitch process looks like, you go in with the script, basically. That's a monologue or sometimes a dialogue. And you go in and you really read and communicate using visuals, if you want, or whatever, um, what the TV show is mm-hmm. or what the movie is. And it's a harrowing process. It's weird that like most people want visuals, which I find very odd. Yeah, I've never done the visual thing. It's, I've it's, never done it. It's like you're doing like a PowerPoint, like and this is a yeah. Yeah, and, but some people are so amazing at it. It's, it's like you're watching a TED talk. Yeah, I'm not a TED talk person. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I go into a pitch, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna shit my pants, and then I sit down <laughs> and I'm like, okay, just read off the page. <laughs> um, no visuals for you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's really hard to communicate, I think, what you see in your head yeah, in a kind of formal way, you know, that's not on screen yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the way that has been successful for me is I always come from some personal place. And so I inevitably end up talking about my grandmother or what I experienced as a child, 
or some crazy story from my past, mm-hmm. whatever I'm going through, yeah. just so that I could draw some connections. And that makes sense for like a show like uh, K-Town. That's yeah. kind of about that. But do you do that for other projects too? I do. I always do. And yeah. even when I write, I have to figure out a way in. You know, Even if I'm mm-hmm. adapting a story, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, why do I want to do this? Yeah. The why question I try to ask as much as possible until I'm driven completely mad. That's interesting. Because they do, like, when you're taught, like, how to pitch, I guess you're taught how to pitch. But when yeah. you're taught, they always say, like, you know, you got the why, you got to say, like, why this is personal to you and stuff. And I always thought of that as, like, well, I think it's personal. Cause, I, mean, I like to do it because it's funny or it's, like, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I guess there's more to it. I mean, that makes sense. Well, I think some shows people do because it's funny and interesting. Yeah. And I think that's really cool, actually. Um, what works for me is a lot of tears. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's just what works for me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't know if you could sort of say like philosophically, okay, like here's the best way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, you just got to communicate what you're saying in your head, mm-hmm. which sometimes they give you a pitch prompt. And of course there are like the things that you have to hit. Like, what does the pilot look like? What is, who are the characters? What's the tone? Right. Um, but you know, as long as you're communicating in some effective way, I think you're good. Yeah. I imagine you're, you're fine tuning a pilot right now. I am. So what, what do you what do you like want to get out of a pilot? Oh God, um, funds to make more. <laughs> <laughs> what do I have to get out of a pilot? Pilots are so hard. Yeah. Why are they so hard? They're so impossible. Well, because you're making like a whole world. Yeah, it's so so hard. It's interesting that they hire off of pilots for stuff. Yeah. I feel like specs are much more indicative of like what a TV writer would bring. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I never had to write a spec. Yeah. I guess no one has to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, if you could write a spec, what spec would you write? Well, I wrote a Brooklyn Nine-Nine spec. That's awesome. Which is a good show. I like it. Yeah. I, I don't know, though. Yeah. But Brooklyn nine it's a good show. Yeah. I don't know what I would write. Um, I would probably be dumb and like write a spec for a show that's off the air or something. Yeah. Um, and, and then really no one would hire me ever. Um, uh, yeah, it is weird that people hire off pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird that people that this industry exists, well, period, really, yeah. <laughs> in the way that it does. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what I hope to get out of a pilot. Mm-hmm. I, I think the pilots that have been successful for me as a viewer are the ones where you also sort of know that the show is going to wrestle with something. Even if it's a comedy, you know, there has to be a there there. And I think you could tell most of the time. Yeah. Interesting. What kind of pilots do you like or what, what type? Oh, man. Um, well, I really love the Six Feet Under pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, love the Sopranos pilot. Um, have you seen, you know what I recently rewatched was a Sex and the City pilot. Oh, really? It is so different than uh-huh. the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. There's like direct address. And oh really? Yeah, yeah. I forgot that they they did that, um, but it's actually very pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh god, I don't know pilots that I enjoy. I love the Barry pilot. Um, that uh, pilots that I've seen recently that I've loved. Hmm, I'm not sure. Have you seen Ozark? No, I haven't seen Ozark. Uh, I heard so good. It's a good show. And yeah. I, the, the pilot I think is pretty effective at that. Yeah. Yeah, so why do you think it's effective? Well, it's a very it's very tense, uh-huh. and I think it kind of fits the show, and it gives uh-huh. you like the overbearing sense of this world where this guy is going to be constantly. I don't know if you know what the show's about, but he's like I don't. He has to <laughs> just to be pitching you Ozark, yeah, please. He has to um, sold. Like, his partner's been laundering money for these uh, 
uh, I guess mafia guys. Uh-huh. I can't remember. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And they finally get caught, but he hasn't been doing it. But it's been through his firm. He knew about it, but he hasn't been doing. Oh, he has been doing it. Sorry, he has been doing it. Wow, you're really blowing this. I know the partner. <laughs> the partner was taking money off this off of it, like skimming money off the oh, top I of see, it. I see. I see. So they find out about that, and they're going to kill both of them. But oh, he, I see. He, Jason Bateman didn't know about it. Oh, I see. And so Jason Bateman, as a latchstitch thing, says, "I'll I can I'll make even more money than than you were before." And oh. spare his life. Oh, cool. Yeah. I guess you should see... I mean, I did spoil it kind of there. Well, now I don't have to watch it because you told... No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good show. Um, is it set in the Ozarks? It's set in the... Yeah, in not Arkansas. In Missouri? In Missouri. Oh, interesting. I used to go there as a child. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's probably going to be too triggering for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that sounds really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's like a cool premise to be it working is. with. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that like gives you a real engine. Mm-hmm. I recently rewatched the Breaking Bad pilot, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh my god, so much happened in this pilot." It's really well done. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they did it because he gets cancer. He's yeah. he's got no respect at at work or yeah. at home, really. Yeah, he has that moment with the kid. Yeah. Um. At the at the mall. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's his yeah. birthday. It's his, yeah. Yeah. It's really, but it doesn't feel coincidental at all. No. They do such a great job of just, you know, lighting everything up and and letting them fire. Speaking of like love taking over place over like eight months or something, uh, Breaking Bad was like two years. It, it's Is crazy. that true? Yeah, it was like because he turns he turns forty nine in the pilot. I think he turns like fifty. I don't know. Maybe that's not quite true. Something oh, like wow. that. Wow. 50, oh, he turns fifty in the pilot, fifty one, or oh, he turns fifty two in, oh, in the second. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen the spinoff yet, but I heard it's so good. Yeah, it I know. Good. I'm like six years late on the uptake or whatever, but. <laughs> I uh I I feel like lately I've become a bento box consumer. Like, <laughs> like I watch little, little bit. bits at a time, <laughs> yeah. and there's so much of it. I I get so overwhelmed. Right. Like I don't know what to watch. Yeah. No, it's the problem today. There's yeah. too much. Too much stuff. So much stuff. Yeah. Uh. So anyway, what would you like to be doing next? Um. What would I like to be doing next? I hope to continue working on my own stuff. Um. I think there's going to be a Barry season three, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope to finish a movie. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that been? It's been really cool, actually, mm-hmm. and really great. Um, and I sort of got into screenwriting because, you know, as every young boy, loved movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really cool that I have this space right now to be able to work on a couple films. So that's been really fun. Yeah. And I've been going back and rewatching a lot of thrillers, which has been oh. awesome. Yeah. Which has been awesome. What thrillers have you been rewatching? Um, I just rewatched Donnie Brasco, which I love. I've never seen that one. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Um, I I watched Silkwood. Oh have yeah. You seen Silkwood? Yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's yeah. out of print i think it's hard to find oh is actually. it really yeah oh. it was i had to like buy a dvd off amazon for <laughs> like for you know for like 50 bucks or something i was like you can't find silkwood that's on crazy. itunes i mean guys get it together <laughs> uh that movie is so incredible it is yeah god share in that movie is now i sound super gay but share <laughs> in silkwood <laughs> out of this world um yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of leaves you hanging at the end. Yeah. It's really incredible. Um, what else have I seen? Uh, I, I rewatched Silence of the Lambs. Um, uh, the God, well, I guess The Godfather's not a thriller, but I mean, I rewatched The Godfather. I don't know. I'm just trying to go through all the, all the greatest <laughs> hits to be like, 
can I do this? Probably not, but let's hope for the best. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up. Uh, will you give me your thoughts on a sketch idea? Great. I'm uh, horrible at notes. This no, it's, is going to be it's, great. It's fine. Um, so you, do, you know Dirty Jobs? Yes. The show with Mike Rowe? Yeah, so fun fact, I used to have a huge crush on Mike Rowe. Oh, really? He's kind yeah. of rugged. I yeah, I'm yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, he's kind wow, of... Wow, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> um, well, if you don't know, if you're listening at home, it's the show where the, the guy does different, weird, and, and dirty jobs. So this would be a, a parody of that show, uh, but he doesn't do jobs anymore. He just does like disgusting stuff. <laughs> so he'd like go to a farm, and it like, seems like, oh, I'm going to go uh, milk this cow. But instead, he just like rubs shit all over himself <laughs> and just gets disgusting. So, so there's my sketch. Would you play the guy? <laughs> would I do it? I guess I could. I don't know. I, I hadn't thought. Of, I hadn't thought that far. Is is shit smearing as as dirty as it gets? Well, that's a good. That's a good question. I guess maybe if it is, I sh- that should come later, or maybe it could get dirtier. I don't know. Yeah, like is it is is that the starting point or is that the end point? That probably needs to be an end point, or maybe I don't know. Probably shit smearing is pretty dirty. <laughs> really, I, th- I think it's totally fine. What do you mean? <laughs> I love it. I think you should go make it today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and also you should get Mike Rowe involved and then give him my number. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm I, married, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> and he's straight, but who cares? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, all right. Anything? Uh, or thanks for coming out. Anything you want to plug? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, anything I want to plug? Um, smart water. Smart water. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. If you're listening, Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> what she needs is more money. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Jen. You've done it. <laughs> all right. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.